The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. A good football show it is week six we're about to be a third of the way through the first ever 18 week nfl season i'm patrick doherty joined today by danny carter we're taking a spin through this week's biggest headlines including juju smith schuster's injury fallout and the goings on in various crowded injured backfields we'll then be joined by nbc sports edge contributor chris allen where we will dive into some rest of season questions regarding some Know, big things like the Chiefs offense, DeAndre Hopkins and the Cardinals, and much more. But we begin with a very serious matter, Denny. Uh, what do you have to say for yourself after the avalanche of missed kicks and tears? I mean, R- Rodrigo Blankenship crumpled yeah. on the sideline last night on Monday Night Football. This, what do you have to say for promo- yeah. promoting this position and like foisting this on the world? I, uh, I want to say I, I've never met any of these men. Uh, who are kicking these field goals. Um, I'm not even sure what their names are. Uh, people will tell me Mason Crosby, uh, Evan McPherson. I, you know, I've never heard of them. So I just, well, the I CIA just, has pictures of you with Evan McPherson, by the way. So don't even try to pretend we've got the, the house committee on un-American kicker <laughs> activities has pictures of you with Evan McPherson. You know, I, I was afraid of that. Um, and I, and I will say that I may have met them at a gathering. I, funny thing with, uh, Blankenship who I just felt terrible for yeah, him. I did too. He, he he for those who don't know you know Blankenship had a horrific Monday night uh missed two field goals missed an extra point basically you know cost the Colts the game he hurt his hip uh in pre-game warm-ups there was a, a kick actually one of the Indianapolis beat writers was on the field while he while Blankenship was warming up right and he kicks a 50 yarder and it comes up like 20 yards short and same same it was right. I mean, that wouldn't be me, but uh, Stephen Holder uh, from the Athletic, and uh, he he wrote today. He said, I, you know, I looked at I looked around and said, what well, what's going on? Like that that wasn't just short. That was that was short short. So um, he had a uh, Blankenship had a, a stabbing pain in his, on the right side of his hip. He could barely kick last night. You saw him on the sideline, you know, and he was in a, a, a tremendous distress. You just feel awful for the kid. You do. I, I don't really understand why he was put in that position because this was known by the end of the game. I, th- I think they maybe even talked about on the broadcast that he was hurt. And I was like, why are they like so clearly settling for a field goal here? Yes. Uh, right. Well, I, I yeah. And I, and I want to say, you know, as a kicker, as a kicker defender, a, a kicker Avenger, some are calling me. 
uh, you know, the, <laughs> sorry, I've been watching too many cartoons with my kid. Uh, you know, the Frank Reich calling that weak draw play, was it? Yeah, a, a handoff to Jonathan Taylor losing two and a half, three yards when you're already kind of on the edge of field goal range instead of trying to, I don't know, wait a second. Oh, pick up the first down. That was, that was would an have option. Been, would have been nice. Uh, he actually kind of apologized for that after the game, which was refreshing. He said it was too conservative, but while we feel for Rod- Rodrigo Blankenship, uh, the rest of these guys are just monsters and me and my fellow senators know how much time you've spent around them. Uh, you know, various kicker front organizations that you were a member of. And uh, we've got some really explosive I, stuff coming is all I can say. I did not attend the kicker for life rally, <laughs> by the way, uh, last year. I was not there. N- neither was my family. We'll, we'll see. We'll see about this. Some of these, these pictographs say otherwise. They, I, don't, well, I don't even know what a pictograph is. It sounds like something that are, are, would be come up in the red scare though. Uh, real, but Mason Crosby, by the way, he's the one I didn't feel bad for. I'm like, well, clearly he's just going to make this a field goal eventually in this game. And he did. I hope it's not, I hope it's not his Adam Vinatieri moment, but um, is, is it his Adam Vinatieri moment? I mean, Adam Vinatieri had several moments where you, where, I mean, where you were like, oh no, like this guy is as washed as washed can be. Uh, and he kept going because he's Adam Vinatieri and no team was going to say, hey, Super Bowl champion Adam Vinatieri, you can't kick anymore. Eventually he, he did the right thing. He bowed out. I think it may be time, judging by the ratio of gray hair to uh, black hair on, on Mason Crosby's head, I think it may be time. It's true. It might be, but he did have one of these misathons in like 2018. That's what he's hanging his hat on right now. That he's come back from this before. But yeah, Mason is on watch, just like Denny from our committee. Uh, Denny did not just kicker injuries. It was a weekend of injuries. Thankfully, most of them were not season enders, even if they have big time fantasy implications, like Saquon Barkley. Uh, but that was not the case for Juju Smith-Schuster. His was a season ender, and. Do we think there's going to be any fallout really here in the Steelers' skill core? Is it going to make Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool more reliable as wide receiver twos? Is it going to get Pat Fryermuth or Eric Ebron back on the radar? Will have an effect on Najee Harris? What do you see the fallout from Juju's injury being? The usage for Chase Claypool was actually pretty interesting after uh, Juju left with that shoulder injury against Denver. So, uh, Claypool ran about 40% of his routes last week uh, from the slot, where obviously Juju usually plays. That's a massive increase over his 15% slot rate in weeks one to three. Of course, he missed week four with that injury. Um, he's, you know, Claypool has been good from the slot this season. He's caught four of six targets for 98 yards and a touchdown when when running around from the slot. So I, I think we're going to see more of that sort of usage for Claypool. I also think it tightens the target tree even more. So Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool both are going to see more looks, which, you know, you wonder how, how can Deontay yeah. Johnson see more looks, you know, I, but I think that's what, that's where we're going for. I don't know if this affects Friar Muth, Ebron, but, but certainly I, th- I think this could be a season saver for Claypool. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if we're going to really break any news of this one, but I, I do think the biggest effect is like the consolidation of targets and, not like a not like someone coming in and replacing Juju's targets like James Washington or like Ray Ray McLeod or the tight ends. I think it just uh, it maybe doesn't affect Deontay Johnson's targets floor that much since it was already so high, but definitely solidifies Chase Claypool's targets floor, makes him a much more interesting, more bankable wide receiver too. 
probably going forward, probably even kicks an extra target or two to Najee Harris's. Uh, mm-hmm. His his passing game used to just be kind of inconsistent. I think he only had like two targets on yep. Sunday. And I think, yeah, the biggest effect will be solidifying Chase Claypool. Maybe it's a little too early to call him top 24. I think I do have him in the top 24 in my initial ranks. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not like taking a flyer on like James Washington or Pat Fryermuth, basically. I think it's just more of a consolidation of what was already there. Yeah, uh, James Washington is very a very fringe player. Like he's he's not going to step in and, no. and be viable, and, and certainly in twelve team leagues. I I kind of sense that in the fantasy community online there, that yeah. that's going to happen. I don't think that's happening. Yeah, well, so Claypool. I mean, man, talk about a guy who would be uh, big for the big slot role. That would be pretty interesting. Yeah. Are you going to call him a, a wide receiver too, a top twenty four wide receiver? Or is it just still too many unknowns right now? Too much volatility with, with Ben's arm. I mean, you know, I, I'm I'm high enough on Claypool as a, a player that I think, you know, given more consistent targets, given less volatile targets, you know, because he he was all he was seeing really were downfield shots from Roethlisberger's shot, you know, right arm, and um, we're not, you know, if if he can get, you know, a little different usage, if he can get some short, you know, some some short targets that he can turn and run with get some yards after the catch, break some tackles. He's good at that. We've seen him do yes. that. Then I, I, yeah, I think, I think he's a low end wide receiver too right now. I do too. And yeah, he's one of the ultimate, like, yeah, just get this guy a slant and like, see what he does yeah. with it. And hopefully it has the expected effect. You have to feel bad for Juju, a guy playing on a prove it deal. Yeah. And now, I mean, the market's going to be even more collapsed for Juju next spring, but yeah, hopefully his loss is Chase Claypool's gain. Danny uh, Kadarius, Tony, Went absolutely bonkers against the Cowboys. He totaled 189 yards, even with Daniel Jones missing three quarters of action. Uh, you know, this has never happened before where a first-round Giants wide receiver had freakishly low expectations, and then this came out and it was instantly a beast the second he got a chance. I can't think of any examples in the past seven years. I can't. I can um, call my grandfather real quick. Yeah, we can call – we can see uh, – someone. there's some guy – like. Uh, david beckham or something i think when in the 50s was good for the giants but so yeah tony i mean it was an easy pick to mock because it was dave gettleman it was a guy he had very limited like wide receiver experience i think he only had like 18 official games of wide receiver experience he was billed more as an offensive weapon type uh but he's got like rare start stop ability i would say like really rare like cutting ability like clearly has like an extra gear uh, completely obvious now why he was on the first round radar for a lot of teams, not just the Giants. Uh, what what are the expectations for Kadarius Tony going forward? Because talk about like a volatile situation, so many injuries, yeah. so many different receivers. What are realistic expectations for Kadarius Tony? Yeah, I mean, you you have Galladay uh, with the knee issue. You have the hamstring issues for both Slayton and Shepard. Um, Daniel Jones, you know, dealing with the concussion. Saquon out, you know, that, like you said, just, just, it's hard to project very accurately, like what Tony's role would be with a full Giants offense, but maybe we're not going to see that for yeah. a long time. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's probable actually that, that we're not going to see that. So I, I would say, I would say this, that first of all, he's, he's leading the league in, in yards after the catch with 141 Man, I did yards after that. the catch. Um, and, uh, the, the next closest is Debo Samuel with 106. So, I mean, it's, it's by far and away explosive. Um, he is the best player on the team right now, you know, with Saquon out. So 
uh, whether they like it or not, and I don't think they do, but Jason Garrett and Joe Judge are going to have to formulate game plans around Tony. And I think we can bank on him just soaking up targets. 32% target share over his two starts, 25% of the air yards. That's just 1% lower than Kenny Galladay for air yards. So uh, I think he's very, he's solidified in that, in that role right now. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I'm sure these hardened football men love the rookie wide receiver, like starting fights with reporters, oh. getting ejected, uh, accidentally headbutting people. He's he's not really endearing himself, yeah, to like the Joe Judge crowd, but he like it's this it's undeniable. It's you could, it's just like the classic anyone could turn on a Giants game. He'd be like, who is this guy? And this yeah. guy is the best player in this offense right now. And you mentioned the Yak. I didn't know he's leading the league, uh, but the Yak is like. It's not a product of like him getting like schemed wide open down the field. Or it's a product of him, like I said, like making people miss, like being almost like untackleable, like with his start stop stop ability. And it's such a crowded offense. Like you said, I think it's probable that there's just going to be enough guys hurt mm-hmm. at this point where they're going to start building the offense around him out of necessity. And this is going to be kind of like a never look back type of thing. It yeah. seems like, and I, I feel pretty safe actually in calling him a top 24 option. Yeah, so the uh, first I want to say that he's leading in yards after the catch over the past his two, two weeks. Okay, over his two yeah. starts. Yeah, I, I'm sorry, not, not not overall because he basically wasn't used. At all. I saw a panic on your face when I repeated yeah. the stat. Uh, I kind of assumed maybe you meant the past two weeks, so that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I, uh, I I immediately thought I was going to get canceled. So NBC lawyers, I mean, yeah, it, it's been noted. It's been noted. <laughs> the Giants just texted me, and yeah, uh, yeah uh, so uh, it's going to be different, I think, than the OBJ breakout, and I know that's an easy comparison to draw, but you know, OBJ was making plays way down the field yes. consistently where Eli Manning would just throw it up in triple coverage and he would come down with it. It's not, it's not happening with, with Tony, the way they're, they're using Tony, he's not going to, uh, you know, hit those, those nine routes down the field. He's not going to even run them. So, but he's going to gobble up uh, targets, intermediate targets and make the most out of them. Uh, and I, I think we can bank on that for as long as these receivers are out. I guess we have to note, I mean, doesn't he have like a minor ankle injury or something? No one seems that concerned about it. Yeah. Uh, I guess even Tony himself is slightly hurt, but it doesn't seem like something that's going to affect his week six status. But like, yeah, as we extol his virtues here on Tuesday, I guess this double check Kadarius yeah. Tony's, but he was still rostered in a very low percentage of Yahoo leagues, at least. Um, I know that it's tough. It's, it's crowded. We used to kind of laid out some risks with him and like, you want to spend more of your fab on running backs usually, but I mean, I would probably be prioritizing Kadarius Tony. I mean, yeah. A first round wide receiver has a 189 yard game. Basically the first game he's like allowed to do anything. You uh, got to take notice of that data point. Yeah. You know, Ben Gretsch who does the excellent stealing signals uh, newsletter every week had something, uh, you know, very, very good and I think accurate on on how to view Kadarius Tony. He said, uh, "If a dude looks sweet, maybe he's just sweet." Yeah, and I think. Yeah, <laughs> he's got. I mean, even in a league full of freak athletes, he, I like, immediately I was like, "Wow, all right, this guy kind of like mm-hmm. not his body, but like the way this guy's feet move, he kind of looks like Lashawn McCoy. Like this is mm-hmm. like he's got the moves." Um, so yeah, Kadarius, uh, we're all counting on you. Denny, do we get enough from Damian Williams in week five? The Bears backfield wasn't quite what we were expecting. I mean, I think we knew we didn't like pump up Damian Williams as an every snap player. I think the way I phrased it was that he would he would be the lead, he would have the lead on early downs and third downs. So he'd be like the first option on every down, but we knew that he wouldn't be like an every snap player. That's never in his career been his role. You know, he's famously never had 20 carries, but 
I don't know if I was expecting like a 50 50 share of basically Khalil Herbert and right. it was highly profitable for both. They both got almost to 20 touches in this very run heavy attack, but did we get enough from Damian Williams to kind of like trust him as an RB two? Is there any chance you're prioritizing Khalil Herbert? What are you doing with the bears backfield? I think it's important that Damian Williams got the targets out of the backfield. It was only three, but he, he ran a decent number of routes. Uh, Khalil Herbert did not get any targets in that game. Uh, overall, the total opportunity was split. Like you said, Damian Williams had 33% total opportunity. That means attempts, uh, rushing attempts and targets, while Herbert had 32%. Now, I, I, I think that the Ch- Chicago's offense is going to be just insanely run heavy when they can be. Um, because obviously we have trust issues with Justin Fields. Yeah, they do. We, you know, that and and it looks like they're just going to grind it out on the ground. And as long as that can work, I think that, you know, both guys have some fantasy appeal. Um, you know, yeah, Damian Williams did, I think, did enough for me to keep starting him. It, if you had stashed him or if you got him off the waiver wire and you're in need of a running back, like you're probably not going to have a better option than Damian Williams for as long as David Montgomery is out. We mentioned, actually, we mentioned Khalil Herbert last week on the show as a guy to pick up who would absorb, you know, potentially massive workload if anything happened to Damian Williams, who is 29, who, as you've mentioned, has never had a a major workload before. So Herbert is a a mustache right now. Yeah. Williams, I think, I think I'm probably going to have him still in the top 24. I think I saw just that, like you said, he had the advantage in targets. He out-targeted him 3-0. John Daigle pointed out uh, he had three carries inside the 10 yard line, Damon Williams compared to just one for Khalil Herbert. So I think kind of like both things were true. Like Damon Williams, as expected, was the first option in all three downs. Just maybe Khalil was a little more involved than expected right off the bat, but probably I'm giving Damien with the, the caveat that it's a kind of a fluid situation. I'm giving Damien like one more week of like RB2 flex, like benefit of the doubt. Uh, Cause Khalil Herbert's workloads could come down a little bit too. Mm-hmm. Like, if they're in a competitive game, they're in like a comeback game script or whatever, it would st- stand to reason that they're going to emphasize Damian Williams. So I think he's still a top 24. Yeah. We talked about uh, Kadarius Tony, you know, being a freak rookie wide receiver. Jamar Chase basically living up to expectations from day one. T. Higgins finally returned in week five. And then Jamar Chase had his best game of the season. He had his first 10 target game of the season. Has Jamar separated himself from T. Higgins? He was the, he was the wide receiver six in week five. T. Higgins was the wide receiver 59. Or is it just like kind of a fluky one-game sample size and maybe there's not as much separation in, in like the wide receiver two, wide receiver three ranks as people think? I think Jamar Chase is far and away the alpha receiver. And I know something about alphas, trust me. Um, and, uh, you know, but, but T. Higgins' usage was in, in one way – hopeful uh and then in another way kind of concerning in week five so coming off that injury higgins played a full complement of snaps he ran a route on 83 percent of joe burrow's dropbacks against green bay it's all good we like that but and he saw seven targets to chase's 10 targets uh the major difference was air yards so chase had 185 air yards higgins had higgins had 45 45 and this is t higgins is a is a good downfield receiver uh, so Higgins' week five usage was different than we saw in the first two weeks. Uh, his yards per target fell from 7.9 in those first two weeks of the season to just 4.6 against the Packers. I'm not saying that that's not his permanent role now. That's probably Tyler Boyd's role, really. 
hopefully we're going to see that tick up and he, he can get some more high value downfield opportunities. But that, that, that did catch my attention a little bit. Yeah. I think that's probably something to cling to when, when, when everything else is almost even that with disparity is so large and, and it wasn't just a one game thing where like Jamar Chase has made, I think he's at a 30 yard catch all five games of the season. So far. I might be slightly misrepresenting that stat, but he's basically made at least one big play down the field every week where he is living up to his pre-draft profile. He is like confirming to the Bengals. He can make game changing plays down the field. And I mean, T Higgins can do that too. But like when Jamar has been just so good at it, you can kind of see that I'm sure in their heads, that's kind of how the Bengals are going to start sorting their offense. Like Jamar is going to be the guy for these really high value targets. Even if like the snap shares close the same, the routes, the targets, that probably is enough of a separating factor, at least for me, for Jamar, basically having like a whole entire tier ahead of T Higgins. Yeah. uh, You know, Jamar Chase has turned into Tyler Lockett, who also sees intermediate targets. Uh, Jamar Chase has caught six of 12 downfield targets this year for 261 yards and four touchdowns. Now, I'm not saying that that can keep up. It probably won't. But if Joe Burrow is going downfield, which he honestly doesn't do very much this year, it's to Jamar Chase. So that 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 means a lot. By the way, don't ever mention Tyler Lockett. He's been canceled. Um, oh, yeah. uh, dude's never going to get more than 50. He probably actually is. He might not with Geno Smith now. Uh, or, you know, the most Tyler Lockett thing ever will be to have 219 yards in Geno Smith's first start oh. against the Steelers. Okay, for, I, I thought Geno Smith acquitted himself very nicely. He did. That was kind of the ultimate, though. It was a short week. I mean, literally, Geno Smith's name was never mentioned in, like, the Rams' defensive game plan. So, yeah. like, there's probably some of that. Whereas now, I mean, the Steelers, you know, they had – they knew Geno was going to be starting against them for 10 days. They've had a whole week to game plan for Geno. It probably will be a different story for Geno Smith this week. Denny Dawson Knox is, I mean, he's like the number, I think he is, he's, he is the number two tight end right now yeah. by half PPR points. Targets still aren't like through the roof. He's getting a kind of like wild efficiency, maybe unsustainable efficiency, maybe some good touchdown luck, but like, what would you call Dawson Knox? The top what tight end um, going forward? I, I mean, I think he's locked in as conservatively a top 10 tight end. Yeah. Is that, is that where you have him? I, this week I've got him, I think, tight end five on my initial ranks, which feels to, I think when I dive in deeper later this afternoon, I might find reasons to adopt a little more caution, maybe make him more of the tight end, but they are playing the Titans. Right. Um, and top 10 for sure. Yeah, Because like, sure. there are guys that have big time tight end one seasons and only like five or six weekly targets. But right. I just didn't know if like the touchdowns felt like a little too fluky. I mean, he's making like monster plays down the field. It's not like they're like, it's like fluky yardage. Yeah. They're like, He's like a big time playmaker making big time plays down the field. So the, the the nature of the tight end position, not to wax too philosophical here, but is that if you don't have the top dogs, Kelsey and Waller, that's it really. Then you're then you're banking or you're hoping for these sort of splash plays from your tight end and touchdowns. Like the, every year we're able to find a guy who, you know, who does this. And if you're able to, you know, kind of, see his usage and like it enough to pick him up, then you can benefit from it. Now, Dawson Knox only has a 13% target share, which, you know, is, is way lower than I thought. He's getting by. I'm saying like Dawson, like the second you like peel back the curtain at all, you're like, wait a minute, 
He has five total targets, and all of them are eighty-yard touchdowns. <laughs> um, right, but but there's there's a little more to it. So so he's run the ninth most pass routes among tight ends, and he's not being asked to block basically at all, which is awesome. You know, which is you want, he's he must just be getting blown up as a blocker in well, practice. So that's what you want from your well, tight end. Yeah, we're looking, looking for it. Dawson Knox finally figured out the game and was like, "Ooh, I can't block. I guess I'm gonna have to run routes." Yeah, and <laughs> and, uh, and it's and it's worked out well he will have lulls. Okay. Like, like this is not going to keep happening. People need to kind of steal themselves for, for the, the valleys, but there will be peaks in a high powered bills offense in which he is, you know, he's in there a lot. He's running way more routes this year. And you know, that matters a lot. Yeah. I think in a year where there's like so few dependable bankable targets at tight end, this is like a, kind of like a maybe an unsustainable quote-unquote train you just get aboard because knowing you might take like close to a zero or two but like there's so few tight ends getting like six weekly targets you're just gonna bank on his four to five and there being like a splash player to yeah. probably almost every week and you can't worry too much about like some of like the kind of like shaky underlying metrics just like there's someone actually making plays at the tight end position you kind of need to not overthink it and be comfortable with the occasional, you know, like three or four point performance. It's sure. basically how I'd sum up Dawson Knox. So you don't view him as like a sure thing, like weekly winner, but I mean, more than proven as a tight end one. You're and, starting him over like waiver wire options, which is a question that we've had for weeks now. Do you start yeah, him yeah, over yeah. this guy? Do you start him over that guy? Yeah. Like you, you lock him in it, just because of the offense he's in, you know, yeah, that, exactly. that's, that's another huge tiebreaker. Yeah. So just stay the course when it's one catch for 17 yards this week, <laughs> like actually really do Like if that happens, you do have to stay the course. Yes. Like you will. Uh, we're almost to Chris Allen. we got one more topic. Denny, is there any chance it's AJ Dillon's season? Uh, the Packers claim they trust him as a pass catcher. Now uh, he had four receptions in week five, that nearly doubled the season total. It literally doubled his rookie total. I think, I think someone at NBC Sports Edge pointed out it was his most catches in a game since high school. Yeah. He said, I think 26 touches over the past two weeks. One of those was like a kind of a closeout game in week four, but week five was a very competitive game. Is A.J. Dillon like kind of like knocking down the top 30 door here? Yeah. I mean, I think especially in, um, well, you know, I was going to say in, in games where, where the Packers are probably going to get out to a lead, but no, I mean, he, if he's getting passing down work and, Matt LaFleur said uh, on, on Monday, I believe, um, he wished he had gotten A.J. Dillon more than 12 touches against the Bengals and that he was, quote, confident in Dillon's receiving ability, which is news. That's news. That is like actual news, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we, you know, headed into the season, it was like, well, A.J. Dillon has literally never had a pass catching role in his time on earth first ever he had not caught a ball since seventh grade he had literally never he had only ever had it handed to him he had never like caught it in the air he did a real elaborate explanation of this after the game it's true we went back in the pff data and we found that it's yeah true. seventh Thank grade you. against uh bishop mercy um he caught 19 passes for 484 yards thank you um, thank you for that pat yeah uh i i i think you know in 12 team leagues you're probably going to be able to do better probably you know it kind of depends on how deep the benches are and whatnot but like in 14 teamers I'm, I'm pretty sure you're happy to start aj dylan at this point with the sort of run he's getting on a weekly basis and even 12 with the buys are now finally kicking yeah. in this week all the injuries there's gonna be people flexing aj dylan in a 12 team league and it's not insane we'll say that. i mean it is another guy 
like you could get stuck with a three or four, but he's high upside enough in a good offense that he's not an embarrassing flex option. And we will be right back with Chris Allen. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Get an edge in your fantasy league with player rankings, projections, tiers, and alerts for players on your team or who you are eyeing up on the waiver wire by signing up for NBC Sports Edge Plus and do it at a discount. Use the promo code GOOD10 to get 10% off your annual subscription. That is GOOD10 for 10% off at NBCSportsEdgePlus.com slash win. We'd like to welcome in Chris Allen, who's been patiently waiting in the lobby, listening to it, maybe misrepresenting uh, AJ Dillon's record. I don't know if he ever actually had a 19 catch game in seventh grade, but Chris, uh, he does daily doses for us. He podcasts with us on our Monday recap show. He's a stats man. He's got stats galore. He makes homebrews, by the way. I believe he's an engineer. He's kind of a big deal. Uh, Chris, how are we doing today? I'm doing great, fellas. I mean, I appreciate y'all uh, bringing me on, and uh, I, I'm not. I can't confirm nor deny that it's been this long since AJ Dillon actually recorded a pass or like recorded a reception like that, but I'm going to let it stand. I, I think that that's what people need to hear in order to believe that he's going to have at least that weekly flex appeal moving forward. Because before that, really the only thing we had was his like massive calves to lean on for him, like for his appeal. So I think now this adds to it. So I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah. Denny finally has something else to adjust the ranks with, with AJ Dillon, where he had been uh, ranking Dillon solely on his calves, even up until week five. And now he has first reception since he was 12 years old. It's kind of a game changer when it comes I'm pretty to sure it was, I'm pretty sure it was his thighs. <laughs> was it his thighs? It, it could be both. I have I have no idea. I mean, they're they're, they're large legs overall. You're right. Yeah. They're yeah. Uh, larger than normal legs. Uh, that's one thing for sure about AJ Dillon's legs is they are bigger than a normal leg. Chris, we thought we'd break down some like going forward storylines with you. Uh, one is people, people now we're, we're getting into Chiefs truthing. Uh, you know, there's like already a narrative, like the Bills have like surpassed them in the AFC East. You know, the offense has definitely been, while still like having as high a highs, it's maybe having lower lows than it's had in recent years. I mean, are they going to get too high safety to death? What's going on in this backfield? What are your just overarching thoughts on the Chiefs offense right now? 
I think that we were at a similar point with the Chiefs, what was it, two years ago before they made their Super Bowl run when it was, uh, it was actually in week five when they played against Indianapolis and then Marlon Mack went for what, like ninth or like 29 for like over 100 yards or something like that. I forgot and, about that game. And, and we were having the same discussions, but at the same time in the AFC West, we didn't have to worry about the Chargers, even the Raiders like popping up for like having a decent record or even the Broncos like having a decent record. It was essentially just them in the AFC West. So even their mistakes back in 2019 could be masked by the fact that they were playing in a weaker division. We just don't have that anymore. I mean, the Chargers with Brandon Staley is now like the analytics king the from that standpoint. God. Right. Our one true God. And so even <laughs> with the Chiefs lagging behind, what's their path forward for them even making a deep run into the playoffs? I'm assuming just because it's Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, and the and the Chiefs squad that they're, they're going to make it to the playoffs. But their path to the Super Bowl just becomes harder to predict because they're really relying on just two guys. I mean, it's just Tyreek Hill, who's nursing a knee injury, and Travis Kelsey, who's, what, 31, 32 years old? So relying on those two guys, and really we can't rely on Nicole Hardman, Demarcus Robinson, Byron Pringle. I mean, any of these other ancillary players, because they're just not involved. Like none of them really have a target share north of 15, 16%. So we can't even put them into our fantasy lineups, much less watch Patrick Mahomes trust them on a weekly basis out on the field. So where is this offense going to get creative? Where is this offense going to start finding the production that they need in order to get past or get back into contention within their own division, let alone see them making a push to the playoffs? Like, I, I just don't see it at this point. Are you saying, Chris, are you saying that the Chiefs should try to get more than three good players? <laughs> that, that should possibly be the case. I mean, this was also the same team. I mean, now that it sounds bad to say this, but wouldn't we have been a bit more impressed if Juju Smith-Schuster had been on the Chiefs at this yes. point? Yes. And now to see him now, now to see Juju's season end with the Steelers the way that it has, it's just like what what could have been. I mean, it's great to see Josh Gordon out there. Like I'm I'm 100 rooting for Josh Gordon. But if it's just now Josh Gordon is like we're we're throwing him out there as well on top of these other guys that we can't we don't even want to start in fantasy. I mean, what confidence do we really have in Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy wanting to put those guys out on the football field to be an extension of the passing game for Patrick Mahomes? It's just tough to watch. Yeah, and like I felt crazy. For like it was kind of like the ultimate first world problem from the off season. Like I did like hammer that point over and over again about the Chiefs. Like I know they have the best tight end in football. I know they have one of the two or three best receivers, but they so badly need this third weapon. It was really, really apparent in the Super Bowl. They just didn't have anyone else could make a play. A lot of people, they had drops. Like they were, Pat Mahomes would put anyone in position to make plays. They -hmm. weren't making them in the Super Bowl. It was, it was apparent down the stretch last year too. It just seemed like they badly needed that third weapon. It has not materialized. I mean, they admitted as much. It hasn't materialized when they signed Josh Gordon. So I mean, I I think you just hit on a very real issue for the Chiefs and one that is not going, especially not even going away. It's getting worse because now Clyde Edwards, Elaire was at least playing like by his standards, the best football of his career mm-hmm. he was, is out. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, it's kind of like Josh Gordon or bust for them right now. That, that's not a great place to be. No, absolutely not. And the funny thing is during the off season, we thought everything was going to be okay after what they make the trades and they revamp their offensive line. And it's like, okay, now chiefs playing power football with a decent running game on top of Patrick Mahomes arm. And none of that came to fruition. We're not seeing CEH, like even before he was injured, used in the passing game. Their targets to running backs was either 31st or 30th in the league. And so 
if we're not even getting that out of him because Patrick Mahomes penchant for looking down the field, what 65, 66% of his targets are between zero and 15 air yards per pass. It's like, what, what is that expectation for even seeing a shift from Patrick Mahomes dropping back, just looking down the field and not even really caring about taking those layup four or five yard passes that could extend drives. I mean, it's great to see that they're still top three in terms of offensive yards per drive, but that's because Patrick Mahomes can create and throw those bombs downfield. But like you mentioned, it's just unless we can get that production out of a second, third or fourth uh, part of that offense on a consistent basis, it's just going to be difficult for us to trust that entire offense moving forward. I mean, this is it's just so hard to look at them. What trying to force feed guys like Nicole Hardman, when if you think back that same class, they could have had DK Metcalf. Yeah. I mean, oh. for, for, the, for the same. I mean, for, nice. you know, it's just it's just so <laughs> difficult to look back, to look at what they could have had in that offense, but instead we're left with this at this point. Yeah, it's a horrific pick. And well, it, I thought, I think so. At the time, I think a lot of us said that's not not a not a great way to use a first rounder. Uh, right. Well, it wasn't a first rounder. It was, a, I believe, a second rounder oh, on Nicole. Are you talking about CEH? I'm talking uh, about CEH. Yep. I say, which yeah. bad Chiefs draft pick are you talking about? Um, <laughs> yeah, there have been a couple. Now. Yeah. Uh, I, I feel a little foolish in hindsight. You won't believe this, but uh, <laughs> in, in buying into july and august hype around you know mahomes we're going to get mahomes checking down to ceh to the other <laughs> tight end what's his name to, you know, we're gonna, the guy and 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 i'm and i'm like oh okay like th- this makes sense because you know of the failings of the and the super bowl and the struggles some for some of 2020 anyway uh i i bought into that and that is dumb in hindsight there's no way that Patrick Mahomes is checking down to anybody. Just nor should him. he. I mean, nor should he. They, but they just need someone yet to convert the occasional layup just to relieve some of the pressure. And talk about the schedule problems, Chris. They don't have the tiebreaker against the Ravens. They don't have the tiebreaker against the Bills now. They've lost the home game to the Chargers. So the division is not out of reach, but it's they're in a already like a bad division spot. They they are in a good. They're about to rampage. They got the football team, the mm-hmm. Titans, then the Giants. So the Chiefs narrative could change really quickly. But yeah, I mean, they've put themselves behind the eight ball. And Justin, I mean, the Justin Herbert, Pat Mahomes debate is like really silly. Like there's still like not even a competition, I would say, between the two. But I mean, this is like Justin Herbert's like already like a better second quarterback in a division than like Tom Brady ever had to deal with. Right. Like his rise like is a real problem for Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs. Yeah, I think their short-term schedule is looking pretty decent, what they've got. So they've got Washington this week, Tennessee, Giants, Green Bay, and their upcoming schedule. Yeah. So all winnable games to put them back into, at the very least, you know, maybe second or uh, second in their division. But it's just, again, what are we going to expect once we get to weeks 12, 13, we start to see more of those? Because they've got a division game, I think, in like week 14 against the Chargers when they see them again. So it's like, what is that going to look like when we're really talking about like playoff seating as we head into the playoffs? Chris, it's week 15, Thursday night football in LA against the Chargers. It it will at least be a Chiefs home game uh, there at SoFi Stadium. I mean, every Chiefs fan in the state of California will purchase tickets to that game. Um, But yeah, that's looking like one of the games of the year Mm -hmm. on Thursday. Denny, real quick, Daryl Williams, RB2 juice, anything? Are we afraid they're going to trade for Marlon Mack? 
what what are we thinking of Darren Williams? I mean, I'm not afraid there. I'm hoping they do. Oh, that, yeah. that would be amazing. Some you know, of us I, have been stashing Darren Williams. I mean, try to be sensitive. Some of us have been stashing Marlon Mack, hoping for this very yeah. scenario. Uh, anyway, uh, I I I think yeah, Darren Williams has some juice just you know by default. You know, I mean, like who who else there? I guess McKinnon. Unless, unless yeah, I mean, I'm so annoying him. I, 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 did he get hurt? I don't know. I, it's hard to say. Uh, but yeah, I, I, th- I think he he has some vi- viability just because there's just no no one else. And you know, he's a good pass catcher. And we all know that Mahomes dumps it off as we talk. Yeah, yeah. We, oh, we yeah. just discussed yeah. it later. Uh, <laughs> just pencil him in for ten targets. Yeah, exactly. A real interesting team going forward, Chris, is going to be the Panthers. Where it, you know they like ran roughshod over the soft early part of their schedule, kind of gotten exposed a bit the past few weeks. Sam Darnold now has as many interceptions as passing touchdowns. Is the Panther is this as simple as Darnold dominating a soft early schedule and coming back to earth? Or what do you see? What have you seen in the Panthers in their start? Uh, I was a hundred percent expecting because you guys know that I I come at this from a statistical perspective. You do, Denny, and I don't know what that is. I, I was a um, hundred like my spreadsheets were telling me his at least one rushing touchdown per game was going to continue on <laughs> for, for the rest of the season. I mean, he was going to be Lamar Jackson of twenty twenty one. I a hundred percent expect that. No, I'm just playing. Uh, but I did see at least for the first four weeks of the season progression from him from a clean pocket perspective because throughout his entire tenure in New York. His clean pocket efficiency was, I mean, absolutely abysmal. I mean, he had just a negative EPA per drop back from a clean pocket. So just like no pressure, sitting there in the pocket, scanning the field, still inaccurate. And for the first four weeks of the season, that had completely changed. And now we can retrofit a narrative to say that, well, because of the defenses that he was put up against, that was likely the case. And it was also because he was faced with less pressure throughout the first like four weeks. And now Dallas kind of put some cracks into that narrative because they were able to generate some pressure against uh, against Carolina in their game back in week four. And then, of course, it completely came to light in week five against Philadelphia, where they had a pressure on like 47, 48 percent of Darnold's dropbacks. Wow. I mean, they, they weren't really. I mean, doing a ton differently because the week prior, they were only in the 27, 28% range. So seeing them game plan for this and seeing like uh, and watching Darnold completely regress back to what we saw back in New York was something of a downer because I think, well, uh, also knowing that, uh, you know, Denny's background in like doing some of the streaming quarterback stuff, I mean, I was on that same process of seeing that what Sam Darnold could at least be a decent streamer for last week, given the Eagles secondary issues. But now, I mean, Darnold completely took a step back. He threw two interceptions when they had just a complete clean pockets. I think Josh Norris uh, put out a couple of pictures of what the pockets and what the pressure looked like when he threw at least two of his interceptions. And these were during the time at, at points in the game when the game was still within reach for the Panthers. And just to see that, it just it makes me difficult to recommend him moving forward as one of those guys that might be a, let's say, fringe QB1, somewhere in like where we would typically put Derek Carr, like, you know, 14, 15, yeah. 16 range, like somewhere in that range. And without the rushing, without the continued, I guess, continued passing, uh, passing production, it's really difficult to put that to put him in that at that rank until we see it gets improvement from him. Do you think? I mean, do you think he's like all the way back to square one, or hopefully not? I mean, he's getting CMC back this week too. I mean, is there is his baseline still higher than it was with the Jets, or have you not seen enough 
to confidently say because he had hot streaks with the Jets too. Mm-hmm. Have it's you seen still, enough to at least say he's upped his baseline or or no? Yes, I think that that's definitely for sure because even when he took a step back, his clean pocket efficiency was much greater than it was with the Jets. I think the main problem, almost similar to what we were talking about with Patrick Mahomes, they're not getting production or he's not getting production or like not even uh, putting it in the hands of the other players. It's really just been DJ Moore. I mean, he has like north of like a 30% target share so far through the season. And we've got Robbie Anderson already complaining about not getting targets the same way that we were talking about Robert Woods just a week and a half ago. It's been what barely any targets to Terrace Marshall, Zilstra, Tommy Tremble. I mean, really, they're not getting any production out of their ancillary guys. So really, defenses are keying on that. They put Darius Slay on DJ Moore, and then you see what happens to the rest of the offense. It folds. So I'm hoping that Christian McCaffrey, at least I heard that uh, Matt Rule was saying that he is hoping that Christian McCaffrey should be back this week. And so maybe that will put a bit more life into the offense. But until we see more production or more usage from the ancillary pieces of that offense, then, I mean, it's not, we can't expect Sam Darnold to create for that offense the same way Patrick Mahomes creates for his offense, like with similar targets or with similar players or similar types of players like on that team. So again, until we see that shift, then it's difficult to project. Denny, you have any Panthers thoughts? Yeah, I think Darnold is kind of back to a only play him in a fantastic matchup scenario, whereas it it looked like for a while that he was shaping up to be a kind of a fringe borderline every week starter in 12 team leagues. I don't think that it's definitely not the case without CMC, Uh, you know, because, because CMC is so involved in that passing game and his absence just takes uh, so much away from the way that the the Panthers move the ball through the air. So, uh, you know, I, I, you have to start Darnold like super flex, obviously, if you if you have him. Uh, but, you know, as far as streaming goes, like, feel free to look elsewhere if you, you know, for a while thought, okay, I have something here in Darnold. It's not, it's not really the case. It is interesting. You got two variables at the same time with the increased schedule and the CMC injury. So hopefully, as Chris said, the CMC at least kind of like restabilizes the, and they cut Rodney Smith from the practice squad this week. It appears they're signaling CMC will indeed be back. So CMC, if you're listening, uh, everyone is counting on you. The NFL season is in full swing and the NBC sports predictor app has you covered with Sunday night seven predict what will happen between the Seahawks and Steelers on Sunday night for a chance to win up to $100,000. It is free and easy to play download today from your app store or visit NBCSports.com slash predictor. Chris, uh, DeAndre Hopkins has yet to exceed six catches or post over 100 yards. Adjust, question mark? I'm Ron Burgundy. What do we do here? Yeah, I don't know how you can't adjust at this point uh, because given DeAndre Hopkins' usage, we're not really seeing the fantasy production that we've been used to. Uh, I remember seeing uh, Rich Rebar put out a tweet, I think it was like uh, on the back end of week three, just about the usage between or the the opportunity and production for between DeAndre Hopkins and just like non-DeAndre Hopkins targets. And so I went back and actually updated that through week five and through week five of last season, all non-DeAndre Hopkins targets amounted to about 780 yards and, and six touchdowns. And that was last year. This year, it's now over 1,200 yards and still the same amount of touchdowns. So we're like looking at a 500 yardage or 400 and some change like yardage difference between the usage that Kyler Murray is getting out of his ancillary passers. We're seeing Christian Kirk more involved. We're seeing A.J. Green now pop up, which is great for me because I am a Bengals fan. So seeing A.J. Green still flourish is great. But 
it's difficult for now for folks that have drafted that have drafted DeAndre Hopkins, thinking that he was still going to see that DeAndre Hopkins level amount of targets. And now we're seeing those shift to any of the other passers. I mean, Max Williams, RIP, but still like seeing Max Williams also pop up for uh, multiple touchdowns and targets over the past couple of weeks. That's been difficult. So, I mean, I guess with Max Williams going down, we can see that start to oscillate back towards him. We'll see if the Cardinals actually make a trade for, uh, for Zach Ertz or somebody like that. But I think that it's important to at least acknowledge the fact that Hopkins isn't getting the same amount of targets because he was for years. He had been the poster boy for um, for target share leaders like within his own offense. It was, it was basically what him, Devontae Adams, and maybe Michael Thomas like in his heyday with Drew Brees. So outside of that, it's just I can't advocate for starting him like at the at a similar uh, like starting him week in and week out without at least knowing what type of targets he's going to get because it seems to be reduced. You know, Pat, uh, the Max Williams injury opens a, a great avenue to for a real sicko tight end play. Who is it? I was wondering who the actual backup there was. Is it uh, not Dimitri Harris? Is it? it well, he's the th- he's listed on the depth chart as as third. Second is Darrell Daniels, or maybe oh Darrell Daniels. Oh wow! <laughs> so we are we're on board. No, I'm kidding. I mean, it's but but I'm I'm kidding until I mention him in the target decoder yeah. column, and then <laughs> and I'm not kidding. <laughs> Chris mentioned a name by the way. The Zoomers probably don't know Michael Thomas. He used to play for the Saints. He was kind of mm-hmm. on a Hall of Fame trajectory for a while look up his pro football reference if you're not familiar with michael Tom. i believe he has the single season receptions records of zoomers out there deandre i think yeah it's just a matter of it's like a deeper offense and i think you know he was kind of banged up too with the he ribs was, yeah. and he got a little healthier he looked i think he looked better physically in week five yeah still has not they used to i mean it's five games is an nfl five games is not a small sample size i mean and like the usage is just it basically had to come down from the otherworldly levels. It's weird because it hasn't created like a super consistent second option yet. It's still kind of like alternating between Rondell Moore, Christian Kirk, and AJ Green. But I would I think that the effect on DeAndre Hopkins has been even if no one else has like risen as like the obvious number two option, like I think the effect on DeAndre is real, Chris. Absolutely. And he's been more or less like living off of touchdowns. He had those two touchdowns in week one, which propelled him into the top 12 as expected. But since then, he's been what the wide receiver 30 wide receiver 76 and 46 without touchdowns in those three weeks. And you did mention he was injured with that shoulder injury or whatever was going on. And that makes some sense. Last week, he gets in, he he finds the paint. He was the wide receiver 15 last week. So really, it's just unless he's scoring a touchdown, he's not seeing the targets to even keep him in the top 24. So I'm hoping that the productions or at least the opportunity starts to come back his way so we can start to count on him as at least a wide receiver too. But outside of that, it's just, it's difficult to trust. The, uh, as everyone knows, the devil needs an advocate. So I'm going to go ahead and do that. Do uh, it. Hopkins is coming off a, a 28% target share against the Niners. Granted, it was not the most pass-heavy game script from Arizona. He's recovering from a rib, uh, rib injury that was apparently par- very painful, and he almost couldn't play through it uh, two weeks ago, and then he could just play through it last week. He seems to have gotten right uh, against the Niners. I think with some time and maybe a little bit of a zoomed-out view, I think that those who drafted Hopkins, myself included, uh, can can have some some hope, not, not for the insane target numbers, not for the 35 38% target share, but you know, twenty-eight to thirty percent in a in a, a, a really great offense that's leading the league in yards, leading the league in points. I, I think it might not be so bleak. 
Yeah, like you mentioned, he's getting healthy. Max Williams will, I mean, free up some targets, maybe up the targets for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Maybe top five DeAndre is like dead and gone, but hoping yeah. that we can see some like stabilization and like the wide receiver eight to 14. It's going to be a very telling stretch because, yeah, with his better health and Max Williams gone. So if the next game or two is like the first five weeks, I'm afraid Chris's bleak vision uh, may be coming true. And that, that would be very sad. I'd say the glimmer for hope for him is that Arizona's passing rates like have been up over years past there. I think they're 16th in pass rate over expectation or actually 12th overall in pass rate over expectation. And then either 15th or 16th in red zone passing, which has not really been a staple of Kyler Murray's game. So if those opportunities continue to hold like over the next like three to four weeks in that short term area that we're expecting Nuke to get back to Nuke levels of opportunity, then I think that could be there because he is still leading this leading the team in red zone targets. So at least that should bode well for his at least uh, touchdown capability moving forward. Chris, we're going to end the show with the the biggest name in the NFL. Uh, he's been struggling over the past few weeks. What happened to Cole Beasley? Because, uh, you know, the Bills, they're going nuts. Everyone's getting point. I mean, Emmanuel Sanders is back. Dawson Knox is ascending. W- what has happened to Cole Beasley? He's been phased. I don't, I don't I actually take that back. Phased out isn't the right word for it, but – as you guys were talking about earlier with Dawson Knox, he has been kind of the crater into he's, uh, he's kind of cratered uh, Cole Beasley's production, at least his opportunity for that matter. Since week one, Cole Beasley has been behind both Emmanuel Sanders and Dawson Knox in terms of routes run. And now Dawson Knox has also passed him in terms of air yard share. Dawson Knox has north of 200 air yards through five weeks. Cole Beasley is sitting about at around like uh, 180, 190. So, I mean, if we're also seeing the downfield passes go to both Knox. So we saw that deep touchdown to him just on Sunday night. The same thing for Emmanuel Sanders now in back-to-back weeks. It's just difficult to project continuing to see Cole Beasley getting his normal target share because what he had 13 targets in weeks one and three. But then over the past couple of weeks, he's had four targets in total. And now if you're looking at the schedule moving forward for Buffalo, they've got what Tennessee, Miami, Jacksonville, Indianapolis, oh I mean the Jets as well. So, I mean, those are not going, those are not games that scream pass heavy opportunity. So, if we're already seeing Josh Allen start to concentrate on what Stefan Diggs is still getting his, Emmanuel Sanders now become at least a larger part of the offense, Dawson Knox as well, with the running backs, at the very least, Zach Moss also getting involved. Where do we see at least an increase in usage for Cole Beasley? I'm just not seeing it. Denny, do you, do you have any Cole Beasley thoughts? I mean, he's the kind of player, uh, you, the fringe, you know, you're into those guys. Uh, what do you think? Well, Cole Beasley football thoughts, not so much, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. more political thoughts. No, it, yeah, his overall numbers are not horrible. I, I'm looking at him now, 20% target share in, in, a, in a great pass, usually pass heavy bills offense. But like Chris mentioned, you know, those those targets are condensed to early, the very early season. And I think Dawson Knox's emergence has, you know, taken away what what we kind of assumed would be Beasley's role in the Buffalo offense until that changes. I I don't know how you can like roll him out confidently against anyone, especially, uh, you know, another thing, the, the Bills defense being good is kind of annoying. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we didn't need that. And, and yeah, can you, I, I would, mm-hmm. if the Bills defense is listening, can you please stop being so good? Uh, <laughs> because, I mean, they're benching starters like every other week at this point. So with that going on, game script not getting out of control in a pass-heavy way for Buffalo, I just I don't see very good things for Beasley in the future. I mean, Chris, is real quick, is 
like uh, Emmanuel Sanders biting into even like Stefan Diggs's apple or is everything cool, everything kosher with Steph Diggs? You know, we just haven't really haven't seen the consistency of last year. We definitely have not seen like the spiked weeks really yet. Uh, or is Steph Diggs just kind of like stay the course? I'd stay the course with Steph Diggs. I, I do think that uh, Emmanuel Sanders is somewhat digging into at least the downfield targets because I think even in week one, Emmanuel Sanders got at least one to two of the downfield targets against the Steelers. We saw again on Sunday night that Emmanuel Sanders can still get uh, he can still get deep as we saw against the Chiefs as well. So I think those types of targets might limit Diggs' upside because he's not the one running those routes because last season we weren't expecting Cole Beasley to do that. Gabe Davis, like while he was more of a role player, he was doing that some, but we really didn't see him start to come on towards the back end of the season and into the playoffs for those types of routes. So if Emmanuel Sanders can keep that type of uh, production up throughout the entire season, he might take the ceiling off of Steph Diggs, but the main role, the wide receiver alpha role within that offense still remains with Stefan. Uh, Diggs has gotten unlucky on downfield passes. On, on, on attempts of more than 20 yards, he's caught four of 11 this season. Mm-hmm. And Josh Allen, you know, and this is this is good for everybody, including Sanders and Diggs, obviously. Josh Allen is third in downfield attempts with 27. He trails only Tom Brady and Derek Carr through five weeks. So, I think if if those downfield shots start start hitting, and I think that we can kind of count on that eventually with a, a, a receiver as talented as Stefan Diggs and a, and a quarterback as good as Josh Allen, I think that our tune changes eventually. It's a long, long season, long season. Yeah. We could look back at this and be like, oh, yeah, right. I, rem- I remember being worried about Diggs. Yeah. 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 I hope a lot of the things we talked about seem like quaint and hindsight, namely the Chiefs. I've got some stuff invested in the Chiefs, so, so yes. hoping this yeah. hoping this seems quaint in a few weeks, but it might not. That's all the time we have today, Chris. Thank you so much for stopping by. Your your dose publishes Thursday mornings, correct? Um, yes, I'll have the Thursday night preview, which actually shapes up to be a good another good one this week. It does, yeah. I, although I guess with Dallas Goddard going on the COVID list like earlier today, I guess we'll see more of Zach Ertz. But either way, I'll have all the news with some practice reports from Wednesday, like all ready for everybody Thursday morning. So check out the dose. Check them out on our uh, excellent recap show. We post every Sunday night, uh, Monday morning, just recapping the Sunday action. Just check out Chris on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? I know it's got something about weather in it, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, at Chris Allen FFWX, because that's one of my main things that I do as well. I know we didn't even get to the weather today. Uh, that's a shame, but because, uh, yeah, it doesn't matter at all. That's all the time we have. I'm going to cut Chris's mic. Uh, no, but yeah, excellent stuff on Twitter. Excellent stuff on the site. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow at the pod with our preview show for Chris Allen, for Denny Carter, I'm Patrick Darty. Catch you later. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also, 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.